0: Hey everyone, we're back again. I'm Sue Heilbronner and this is Real Leaders. Thanks for joining us. As you all know, this is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story of some of the most innovative leaders in the world. Today, we are fortunate to be joined by Johnny Hanna. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Homie that you're about to hear an awful lot about. Johnny, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. So, Johnny, the way we start out, Real Leaders, is we ask the CEO to give us a three-minute life story. So, over to you, go.
1: Okay. um, Life story. I, I was born in Colorado on a ranch My cowboy father uh, moved us to Montana when I was about five years old. My parents split. I lived half my life in Colorado, half in Montana. Went to school at BYU-Idaho in Rexburg, Idaho, and then moved down to Salt Lake to start a company called Property Solutions. It's now called Entrada. Found a beautiful woman to marry while I was down here, have six lovely kids, and am off on my next venture.
0: Let's start with the fact that you have six kids, because I don't know of another serial entrepreneur, you may, who has six kids. So just tell us a little bit, your age range of your kids, how you balance life as a CEO with being the father and and husband that you are.
1: Yeah, I I think after I share with you the ages, I'm going to sound even more crazy, but our, our oldest is eight and we don't have any twins. So eight down to uh, seven months. So we have five little boys. Uh, I told my wife when we were dating that I would have a basketball team and she only wanted four. Um, she, she was open to having another, we had our fifth and then she got her little girl here as our sixth, just uh, last October.
0: Oh, that's Fantastic. So now you have a basketball team with a sub in case somebody gets winded.
1: You know, she might be the best. Yeah. The, the, one of the other guys might be a sub. She seems pretty coordinated already.
0: Totally psyched. I mean, it's seven months, you already know how a jump shot's going to go. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So walk us through the uh, entrepreneurial history. How did you start property solutions? What was the origin there? And then what was the outcome of that company? How long were you there? Just give us the background.
1: My best friend growing up in Montana, he and I did construction for my dad and mostly with manual labor demolition. And we quickly realized we never wanted to do that as a profession. And both of us ended up serving Mormon missions. We came back home around the same time and he had an idea from his wife. His wife was a property manager. She ended up collecting rent once a month and having a line out the door. So you know, we saw opportunity to automate a lot of inefficiencies that existed at the time in, in property management, specifically with apartment communities. It's, it's the multifamily industry. So he put together a business plan with one of his other childhood friends. He had moved from Spokane before he moved to Billings, Montana, and, and before we became really good friends. Those two put together a business plan at BYU. They asked me to help out, so I helped with that business plan while I was at BYU-Idaho in Rexburg and we all graduated in April of 2003 we won the BYU business plan competition with this idea they gave us a little bit of money to get started and we we just went from there
0: How many years were you guys involved in that company
1: My other two partners are still there today January of 2015 I decided Uh, that it was just time for me to do something new. And it had been 12 years, so we started that company in 2003.
0: Did you raise money for the company?
1: We did not. We did have a few professors that put in a little money. We had professors that helped with the business plan. We also had a local property management company. The owner of that company put in a little bit of money. We we just bootstrapped it from there.
0: So to this day, the three of you or other employees are the only owners of the company?
1: That's correct.
0: And how how many people work there now?
1: About fourteen hundred. So it, it's it's grown like crazy.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, the good news is that makes your family look small.
1: Yes, that's true. Yeah. In in contrast.
0: <laughs> and have you guys had any? Are you? How are you handling this financially? Whatever you're willing to share. Do you take distributions on an annual basis? Have you had any kind of liquidity or realization events in the company?
1: No, I think the success of the company has come because we haven't taken distributions and we've just continued to put it back into the company. And, and that's what they're still doing right now. There's still so many different products and features that our clients want us to build. So, I mean, I, I think that can continue for another 10 years and continue just to grow the business. And and that that's kind of how we started. We had a business plan to build all of these tools and we just started with a couple, and then with that additional revenue, we just put it back into into play and kept producing more and more tools for our clients. So we were able to sell into our client base in addition to grabbing new clients.
0: Are all 1,400 employees located in Utah?
1: No. No, we have a really large group of them that are programmers that happen to be in India.
0: A Utah-India business. That's probably not that common.
1: But and, a, sure. and an office in Dallas. Yeah, we, we have an office in Dallas with some really good people out there, too.
0: Awesome. Did you have opportunities to sell the business during the last series of years?
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, a, a few years into it, you know, I mentioned we started with a couple products, and those products were very attractive to some of the bigger companies that existed, and so they made a few offers. But those those bigger companies, they built their software back in the 80s, and then we saw it to be a little clunky, a little piecemealed, and that they were just purchasing companies instead of innovating themselves. So we just continue to follow our business plan to build out all the tools that we saw that were needed in this space.
0: Okay. So you didn't have investors, so you didn't have pressure from anyone, at least with a vested interest that was pressuring you to have a liquidity event. Right. That path is pretty unusual since the year 2000, sort of building to run. What about you and your partners made it so that that was kind of the ultimate goal instead of some kind of either quick or longer term hit that people really now associate with quote unquote success.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of us are big spenders. The home that I live in, I don't expect to ever upgrade. You know, we we might, you know, make additions to it here or there, but um, I just buy bunk beds every time we have new kids. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: a little rough on the seven month old, but she'll learn.
1: (laughs) She'll figure it out. Yeah. I, I think that was the case, but also we just heard from clients nonstop all the pains they were feeling. And in integration was just awful in our industry in between these different competitors. So nobody would agree to integrate. So our clients had to rekey in information from one software tool to the next. And this industry is a really small industry. So we, we became really good friends with our clients and, you know, they continued just to give us excellent guidance on what we needed to build next. And they were super patient as we built it, as it, you know, we released it, as it was buggy, you know, they, they helped us, make the company what it is today. So I think, you know, that combination of not necessarily just wanting to cash out right away and seeing still such a huge opportunity, you know, we, we've we've been happy where we are.
0: Why did you leave?
1: There, there's a number of reasons. I, I think that Helped make me make the decision for me to move on. You know, we hit a, we had a hundred million dollars in recurring revenue. So, I mean, the company is continuing on this on this great growth trajectory. But I just felt it was time. I, I had hired a, a lot of great people, a lot of people a lot smarter than me to run the different divisions that I was over. I was over our sales team, our client services and HR. Those were kind of my three divisions and my responsibility with the company. And I was on, you know, cruise control to a degree. We were gaining clients left and right from our main competitors and, you know, kind of randomly just leaned over to my wife one night and said, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. She's like, well, you want to sleep on it a little bit or, or think about it more? And, and it took me a couple of days, but I felt the exact same the next two days. So much to where I just, you know, told my partners, I, I feel it's time for me to move on. And and we had had the conversation, you know, a few years before that we'd hit the decade mark. And we thought if any of us wanted to move on, it, no hard feelings. So we'd, we'd already kind of prepped each other. But being the first, I wasn't sure how that was going to be received. But I, I stayed a couple more months to make sure there was a, a smooth transition and, and people were able to take over my roles. And my partners threw me a going away party my last day. And I had, had a really good exit. And... Yeah, they're, they're just down the road from us, not too far away, so I still stop in on occasion and say hi to everybody, but I didn't know what I wanted to do next, but I was just curious about the startup scene and, and, and doing another business.
0: So you're still an owner of yeah. Entrada? Yes. And I think that there may be a lot of people listening to this that are feeling the way I feel, which is I feel almost not clear. So what do you think the end goal is for this company?
1: I think it's, it's going to continue to move into different areas. So that company, our products serviced conventional apartments. They service student housing. There's a big group of, of apartments that we could still move into. There's military. There's senior housing. So,
0: okay, right. So Tax great, credit. There's great business expansion opportunities, and at yeah. present, just no thinking about exit.
1: No, and, and there are plenty of companies that, that, that would buy secondary shares from any of us if we wanted to sell our, our you know, any ownership. So that, that, that's an opportunity any of us have and have had for a number of years. But just with the growth and seeing the landscape of the, the competition that exists, we're, we're still very bullish on keeping it private and just growing it.
0: Okay. Well, I, I'm sure you know this, but I know the people who listen to this podcast— we will find all of that really interesting and really, really different. I'm wondering if you think it's unique.
1: Yeah, I, that's, all, that's all I know. I, I don't have that much experience outside of the company other than this new venture that I, that I started here a year ago.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. So you just told me that it's unlikely that you're going to upgrade your house, making you a terrible customer for this new business that you founded. So tell us a little bit about Homey.
1: Yeah, well what we set out to do with Homey was really just simplify the entire home buying and selling process. And now that we're in it, we're realizing there's so much more work than we ever had imagined. The way that it began, we started out helping for sale by owners with any legal assistance that they needed. You know, we we start out advertising their home on our website, along with all the other for sale by owner websites out there, we help them with photography, we help them with an appraisal, we give them really all the education and, and tools that they need to succeed as a for sale by owner. So it's it's a software platform that assists for sale by owners to make their process simpler and help them sell their home faster. And then on the buy side, we, we have a buy package that allows them to come in and get educated and get connected to all of the different resources they need. They'll need appraisers, they'll need inspectors, they'll need title escrow, they'll need a loan, so they'll need lenders. So we've partnered with all these different companies to help them in that process. And then we also have a a team of attorneys here, as we do on the sales side, to help them through any paperwork if they want to make an offer. Uh, you know, once they find a home that, that they're interested in.
0: So my understanding is that basically for the last 15 years, there have been hundreds of efforts at disintermediating the real estate industry. Is that fair? Yes. So we know Zillow's out there. Zillow, from what I understand, is just an extraordinarily lucrative lead generation service for realtors. I think that's the biggest thing they do now. I don't know if that's what they set out to do, but do I have that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's their primary business, and and they're doing a great job at it.
0: Then we've got Redfin out to reinvent home buying and selling, and basically, to me, is just a dead letter. It's like they're not really reinventing the industry. They're just giving you a different set of agents. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, what I think they've done well is that their agents aren't commissioned. They're paid based on NPS in customer feedback. So this industry, because of commissions, people have misaligned incentives with their own clients. So I I like what Redfin has done there. But other than that, I, I do feel it's a little bit more of the same.
0: And I personally have heard of tens of companies who are trying to use software as a disintermediation vehicle. Some of them seem to have connected with one agency. That may be for regulatory reasons. I don't know. Why Why is your approach going to win in a sector that candidly seems just immovable? This commission structure, there's stuff that changes on the edges like you just described. Now we've got Zillow, so we actually are frequently feeding our agents information that we're getting off a really, really transparent network of data. What are you gonna do that is gonna be different?
1: Yeah, I, I think most companies that are trying to solve this problem are offering tools for agents to make their lives easier. Right. Sure. And, and and help them to, you know, manage the 30 to 40 clients they have and maybe double that. You know, there's other companies like Redfin that, that did lower their price from six percent to four and a half percent. But we're we're setting out to just truly automate the entire process and and empower the homeowner to sell it on their own without all of the work. Or if you're buying a home today, most people find their home on their own because of Zillow, because of Trulia, because of Redfin. You know, the MLS actually is now disseminated. You have that information in your pocket on your phone. That that's where we feel timing is different. So anybody who's tried it before, without the MLS being on these websites that are so user friendly, I I think it was impossible to do what we're doing.
0: Use the phrase "solve the problem." Uh What's the problem?
1: solve a problem, I guess. There are so many out there. So everybody's attacking different problems, but we feel that consumers just need a little bit of extra assistance with technology and they can finalize at least the the real estate purchase contract. We can automate that through kind of a a TurboTax DocuSign process. Sure. We're not automating the appraisal industry or the inspection industry or title escrow. We've lined up with those partners along with the lenders to make this happen. But I guess when I was saying solving the problem, I think the other companies that exist that are similar to us are are trying to lower the fees that people pay. They, They realize that people are frustrated with the current process of using a realtor, whether that's misaligned incentives as Redfin wanted to take on that part of the problem and, and just pay their agents based on customer feedback versus a commission. So, you know, there, there are many companies looking at different problems, trying to solve it. And in our approach is actually pure automation. So we're not looking to assist the realtor. We feel that we could, for people that are already wanting to just do it on their own and save that three to 6%, we're helping to automate so that you don't even need to use an agent.
0: Got it. One of the things that I think agents do incredibly well, but maybe this is just a complete myth that I hold in my head, is in markets that are reasonably strong, not in weak, terrible markets where, you know, whatever, it's a chance as to whether anyone will ever come look or care about your home being for sale, but that agents are able to, sort of like investment bankers, they're able to generate interest in a format that's good for the seller, interest from multiple parties that could create a little excitement around a property where you can generate an above ask price or even an above value price based on sort of an auction mentality. Do you agree or no?
1: Yeah, I do agree. I agree that there are great agents out there that can do that. But from the National Association of Realtors, they published a, what's called their danger report. I don't know if they do this annually, but last year they published it and said that their own industry is plagued by unethical, untrained, and incompetent agents. So great agents can do, I think, what you just explained. But here in Utah, and I know in many other states, it costs about 150 bucks to become an agent and about 70 hours of schooling, Right. good luck finding who that is. And there are companies that are helping you to find those best agents, those yeah, top yeah, agents. Yeah.
0: Maybe. They may just be helping you find the people who are willing to pay the most for advertising. But let's, let, let's leave yeah. that on the side for a second. Yeah. Why do you think this industry, like you talked about TurboTax, and you know, you'd think that the tax preparer industry would really, really be slow to change. But really, it to my mind, feels like turbotax reinvented tax preparation in under 10 years like radically changed it yeah and tax cut helped. but why do you think this real estate industry has been so slow?
1: I, I really do think it's because the the industry had a, a stronghold on the MLS yeah but I believe that Zillow and Trulia now that they're so well known, so many people now find their home on their own. I, I think it's like seventy to eighty percent of people find their home without the assistance of a realtor.
0: Right, for sure. Okay, got and and so your your bet is that technology, highly user friendly technology, is going to be the comfort vehicle, the sort of execution vehicle that's gonna make people stop looking for agents in some cases.
1: I think education on the process will do that. I think technology is just going to make it simple after they understand if they find their dream home, that that's the hardest thing is finding a home that you're comfortable with in a neighborhood you're comfortable with that you can afford. And then realizing that it's, you know, here in Utah, it's just a six page real estate purchase contract. And then, you know, and, and it's got six fields that you fill out. I think once we explain that education, I mean, a lot of people can just go do it on their own and download it, but it. we yeah. offer assistance, you know, from a legal standpoint, so they actually can have attorneys if they do have any questions, and it's very simple.
0: So, Johnny, what about you as a CEO? Do you think will contribute to your company standing out? Presumably, you have plans to eventually be broader than your state, national. You may already be, but what is it that you bring to leadership? that will empower your company to overcome the raft of competitors that are out there in different states?
1: I don't know. I, I, I think there's a, you know, I, I definitely know that I can find people a lot smarter than me and I'm not afraid to hire those people. I, I think that's been one of my strengths at my last company as well. Like I'm confident in what I don't know. And, and I do feel like we've built an, a, an amazing team. Our head of marketing founded SEO.com. I didn't just go hire a recent grad in marketing. Uh, He was CEO and and led that company to several million dollars in revenue, and so I I feel like he knows what he's doing. We need senior leaders like this to take on such a massive industry. Our our head of operations, he opened up Baltimore and DC for Uber. He took them from zero dollars to over two million dollars in six months in each one of those cities. He's a Stanford MBA, uh, has, has plenty of experience outside of Uber as well. Just brilliant guy. So. I feel like I, I've been good at surrounding myself with just people that are much smarter than me in their specific fields and that are going to really help take us to that next level. In addition to finding people that are cultural fits, we I, that that's very important to me that we get along, that we're all you know swimming and moving the same direction. So th- those are I think my my best traits and, and I feel like that's going to help. Uh, with the probability of success that we'll have.
0: If we look at cultural fit and we look at how you've developed a culture at this company and your last company, what are the two most important criteria for new hires that would lead you to believe that they'd be a cultural fit?
1: You know, we, we go through in our interviews a list of, of cultural questions just to kind of gauge if if they fit those values that we've established for our company. So, for example, with sales, I can ask you know a sales rep pretty easily, "Did you ever not get paid commission at your last company?" And if they just automatically spout off and and talk about how awful their boss was and how awful their company was and how terrible their commission structure was, you know, you, you get an indicator that person you know might not. Be as loyal or you know might not self-reflect on what they might have contributed to the problem. At the same time, if somebody says, you know, th- there were some of those instances, but you know our software program may not have have captured all of my sales correctly, and then kept it positive, you know, and continue to, to move on with the interview. You know, those are things that we look for, depending on, on how we phrase the questions and how they answer. I think that to me really helps us gauge who we feel is going to be just a great fit and somebody that you're really going to enjoy working with.
0: Are you planning to raise money for this company?
1: We already have. Tell and me about
0: I, that. How much have you raised?
1: Uh, we've raised about four and a half million so far. So we just closed that seed round here about uh, about two months ago.
0: What percentage of your investors are from Utah?
1: We have one angel, two institutions, and then we have two outside institutions.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. What led you to raise money for this company when you didn't do that for your previous company?
1: I feel if I would have started my previous company at this day and age, we would have had to have raised money. You know, in 2003, I don't think there was as many people focusing on disruption and automation. So we were able to bootstrap it, stub our toes, you know, ask forgiveness from clients, but it's super competitive right now. Everybody out there is looking at how to streamline processes and, and change industries, especially real estate. So we feel like we need to get on this right away and, and move quickly.
0: How many people are on your team now?
1: Uh, we have about 23.
0: Okay. So just a couple questions that are off the business, but under the business, what do you think? And you described growing up and you, obviously you grew up in a place that was almost inherently entrepreneurial just in order to live. Um, What are your early experiences of entrepreneurship as a kid?
1: I think, you know, with my mom being a single mom and having to support us. in when I lived with her in Colorado, I had to come up with money to buy basketball shoes or to help fund our sports teams. And I, I had a lot of experiences where, you know, we had to go door to door and sell a raffle for for tickets to a Broncos game. I had a class that taught me macrame when I was in sixth grade and I created plant holders and sold those around <laughs> the neighborhood and into friends and family. So, you know, I shoveled snow. I skipped school every time there was a big snow day and shoveled snow and, and made money. And no one ever told me to do any of those things, but I just knew if I wanted to play sports or do any of these things or have the newest shoes, I needed to have cash. So that was, that was pretty natural. But my, my dad definitely taught me you know, work ethic as, long as, as well as my mom. You know, she put herself through school and worked at the same time while we were living with her. So it was, I had good examples there in work ethic.
0: I have a friend, an old friend of mine, who used to sell the Houston Chronicle by phone, when, you know, whenever this was. This must have been in the 80s. And he was in a selling group with Michael Dell. And at the end of, you know, six to 12 months, it's on the Houston Chronicle where you got a quarter for every new sub that you sold. Yeah. My friend had like $7 and Michael Dell bought a car.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right?
0: Makes sense. So were you the guy who, for whom money always came fairly easily?
1: No, not necessarily. I mean, I, I I probably could have worked smarter. You know, Michael Dell, I think, you know, he, he hired all of his friends to do all those paper outs doing it himself. <laughs> I wasn't that guy. I, I do think I've been fortunate to surround myself with people uh, who, who have been able to be those type of people. You know, I, I think I'm the hardworking guy that, that can produce and find other people They can do the same thing.
0: And your company, in terms of company culture, given that you have such a large family, and I I expect, I I saw in your bio that you really take your commitment to parenting extremely seriously. Uh, The way you talk about it in your company bio, I think, is really wonderful. How do you balance this starting a new company with having six young kids?
1: I I think my real partner in, in anything is my wife. Uh, I, I bring home business challenges all the time to her. I talk to her. I try to check in at, at lunch every day. She, she and I work really well together, and we just set proper expectations for each other. And you know, when I get home, I know it's, it's her t- time to now you know, do what she needs to do around the house or for her to read or, or whatever. You know, I take over. I help brush the kid's teeth, put them in bed. I know that you know, she's, she works 24 hours on the family, I work, you know, however many hours here at work. And then my other part-time job is at at the home. You know, once the kids are in bed, I I can get back on the computer and finish whatever I didn't get to at work or catch up or or get ahead. When starting this business, you know, doing a new startup with as many kids, this is what we had to do. We had to list it out and say, okay, you know, I need you home at this time. But, you know, if the kids go to bed, you know, you can get back on. And and these were the discussions that we had and, and agreed to.
0: That's fantastic. How do you think Utah is different or the same than the Silicon Valley as a place to start a company?
1: You know, I I just don't have that much experience to compare it. All I've done is started a company here in Utah and and done another one. I I know that there are a heck of a lot more investments coming our way from Silicon Valley. You know, I mentioned our two outside uh, institutions, one's from the Bay Area uh, and another's from New York. Both of those companies continue to look at other Utah deals And it's fun seeing that. So I I wonder if there isn't, you know, more of a similarity that's occurring, knowing that those dollars are coming here more frequently.
0: Yeah, I think there may be even more to that, that, you know, I, I work with one company that has a Salt Lake development team. And I actually think that investors that are feeling down on investing in the Valley because of sort of inflated valuations or sense of entitlement, whatever that is, I think feel like... Salt Lake City and the areas around it are sort of the holy grail in terms of commitment, very strong talent pool, and just great culture and great values.
1: Yeah, I would agree with everything.
0: Yeah, I imagine you would. So I have this theory. This is my favorite interview question. I have this theory that we have all received one piece of feedback, and I'm going to call it negative feedback, but really just, you know, constructive corrective feedback, that there's one piece of feedback we've received almost our entire life. It generally started when we were toddlers and we work and work and work on that piece of feedback and we try to do better at that one thing. And yes, we do do better, but when we're not at our best, we still get some version of that piece of feedback. If I'm right, what's yours?
1: You know, I, I think for me, it's continuing just to have perspective and, and, and see, you know, the, the, the greater picture and continue to, to move that direction.
0: In, In business or in life or in both?
1: In both. To me that, that, that's been the recurring thing. Like I, I'll be so heads down you know, it, it, in my last company, you know, I just did nothing but focus on my clients and take care of them and and fly out and meet with them. But, you know, I, I was told, you know, continue to network, continue to do these other things. And, and I didn't, I I was a little more heads down and, and I, and I do wish I would have networked over those 12 years, you know, here (laughs) in Utah, (laughs) but I did not. I mean, I, I did not network with anybody. And so when, when I left the company, I, I met so many new businesses and I wished I would have reached out to those businesses, asking them about culture, asking, them about how to better my sales efforts and, and do those type of things. So I, I think, you know, and, and then in life as well, just, you know, with six kids, we're constantly busy and, and taking a step back, looking at the bigger picture, realizing that there's just endless amounts to do and not get so bogged down in, in those, those details. I think that's been something that's continually come back to me.
0: And is your wife a resource in helping you stay present to that <laughs> awareness?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Almost hourly. Yeah. She's, she's great at that.
0: (laughs) She'll love to hear that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, Oh, I got to finish this one thing, you know, before I come home and she says, you know, is it due tomorrow morning? Is whatever you're working on, will they need to see it tonight? Or they, you know, so she'll help me kind of snap out of it. And, and, you know, I can say, yeah, that is something I can put on hold. I'll, I'll be home soon. You know, so she's great.
0: Just one more question on that though. Obviously, this heads down thing that you were doing and the thing you've gotten feedback on for most of your life has served you incredibly well in some ways. Do you ever worry that if you don't hold on to that behavior, that real focus, that you're going to lose something for your business?
1: Yeah, yeah that I, I haven't necessarily, I think, considered that, but I, I think it's so ingrained in me. I just constantly need to be, you know, kind of reined back and uh, i I think, you know, my wife's just been a good balance for me. So I, I think, you know, she, 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 realizes that when I set my mind to something, I do it. And, and it's really hard, you know, if I want to go to a movie that night, you know, or if I want to go out to eat, it's hard for me to change my view that it's okay not to go out to eat, you know? So, <laughs> so I, she, she's just been a good balance for me, I think, but I, I don't think that's necessarily going away.
0: So now you have this company that has not only angel investment, but institutional investment, including from not only your state, but both coasts. Those investors probably have different expectations than you would have had in 2003 when you started your last business. Given that you're now in partnership with those folks, what's your definition of success for Homie?
1: You know, I I I thought you were going to ask a different question. Was it a
0: better one that you thought I was going to ask?
1: No, no, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I'd rank it one way or another. But I bootstrapped the last company, and we didn't have investors. You know, I I don't think we, we define success whether or not we have investors. I, I'm setting out to tackle this problem regardless of who invests. So I, I think they realize that and they realize that I'm gonna, you know, be heads down, work as hard as I can, move forward with this company. And I, I think that that's what they want me to do. I think, you know, we have the same goal in that sense. But the the question I thought you were going to ask was, you know, the difference. And and I definitely like having investors. I think that pressure from a board. The the pressure from these outside investors is, I almost feel needed. You know, we, we definitely had a board at, at our last company, but it's not the same when you have these guys come in early on and, and they're as brilliant as they are. I, I feel like they help us step up our game and challenge us. But, but yeah, I think the definition of success is the same to me as it is to them. I don't know if that answered your question. No,
0: that does. And that's great to know. I imagine as part of your getting acquainted and going through due diligence, I would think from their perspective, that would be a hot topic of conversation conversation with you.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I don't recall, you know, necessarily defining like, this is what, you know, we want. I mean, definitely we, 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 presented what, what our business plan was, what our numbers we think they can be in a number of years. We shared how huge this opportunity is, regardless if others try to come in and compete and do the same thing that we're doing. So I, I think they just, they saw this as a, a great company to take a chance on, especially with, with the team that we have. Um, I, I didn't mention my other partners, but Matt Thorne, Mike Trianfo, Mike Perkinson, of these guys are, they're, they're brilliant and in their own areas. You know, I mentioned our our marketing and in operations, but we really have a very, very solid team that I'm excited about.
0: If there's one thing that you have to learn beyond what you've already talked about, about perspective, but the thing that right now is super hot for you in terms of your next learning edge as a CEO, what is it?
1: I think politics. (laughs) I, (laughs) It's it's you know this this industry it has the second most powerful lobby group I think in the nation somebody said behind pharmaceuticals somebody else said behind the NRA here in Utah I think it's the most powerful wow it's, it's a balancing act. You know, we're not, we're not out to end anybody's employment. You know, we want to be an alternative for people that are looking to go the for sale by owner route, or if somebody wants to buy a home on their own, you know, we do believe they can save thousands going that route. But as you mentioned earlier, you know, could good agents give you good advice? And, and I think the answer is absolutely, you know, I think there are great agents out there. So we, we feel that there's definitely a, a coexistence that, that exists and it's just such a massive industry. So yeah, politics is, is definitely tough. I think a lot of people view us as Satan here in Utah, <laughs> you know, so, um, I, I try to be a likable guy and, and I, you know, typically care about what people say about me, but this business is new in, in that regard to where I'm shocked about some of the things that I hear, you know, we're accused of or, or who we are and yeah, I, I need to, I need to grow and learn in that area.
0: Great. That's really helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is, it was just great to hear the backstory of you and these two companies. Well, thank you for having me. That was Johnny Hanna, and he is the founder and CEO of Homey. And in case you're wondering, Homey is spelled H-O-M-I-E.com. If you're looking to buy a house or sell a house without the involvement of agents and doing that directly and super scalably, check out homie.com. As always, Real Leaders Podcast is brought to you by MergeLane, the accelerator and investment fund for startups with at least one female in leadership. This November, MergeLane is running a new program. It's a one-week intensive program called Innovation Camp for startup founders or people in any kind of company or organization who want to up their game in the category of innovation. You can learn more at MergeLane.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.